faith. Faith. That's the word that every Christian knows. Uh, Many of the most common verses that we memorize in the church are about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith comes from hearing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We talk about faith all the time. But in the minor prophet Habakkuk, there's this one verse that shines out or stands out. And I think it shines a light on this word faith that we're so used to. So it says this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, reading out of the ESV. It says that the righteous shall live by faith. And that teaches us that a part of having faith is living by faith. Faith is more than just understanding. It's trusting, it's looking, it's moving, it's acting, it's hoping. The righteous shall live by faith. And that's what we're all called to do in this room. You want to know what the Christian life is about. If someone came to you and said, summarize what the Christian life, what Christian living is all about. It's all about living by faith. The question you might ask is, but what about when life is hard? What about when things seem out of place? How do we live by faith when things look upside down? When it feels like God hasn't answered our prayer? How do we live by faith when evil surrounds us and the church is persecuted and the wicked begin to prosper in the world? Or when the effects of sin overwhelm us because we come face to face with with pain and hurt and sickness and decay and death? How do we live by faith when our flesh wages war against the spirit? And and temptation is just clawing after us. See, friends, the Christian life is not easy. And some of you know that reality all too well. And the question that many of us have is this. How do we live it then by faith? The good news is that the Word of God has answers for us this morning. And so let's, let's turn to this little book of Habakkuk. What I want to do is I want to walk through a brief overview of the book. And then I want to make nine observations about living by faith that we learn from this book. So brief overview and then nine observations about living by faith. So in this book, we enter into the southern kingdom of Judah in the late 600s B.C., Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel has already been exiled, already been defeated by the Assyrians. But now we have this new rising power on the map. It's a new empire. And this new empire is threatening to replace the Assyrians as one of the strongest empires in the world. And what we have is we have the rise of the Babylonians, or as Habakkuk is going to call them, the Chaldeans. Now, we don't know much about the man, Habakkuk. But we, knew, we do know that he saw an oracle from God. 
And we know that this little book doesn't have any direct prophecy spoken by him to a specific group of people. He doesn't go somewhere and say these things to a group of folks. We know that it's in the time of Judah, that it's in the time of the rise of the Babylonians, but this book does not contain a prophet that's declaring a judgment directly to a nation. Instead, this book contains a conversation. It's a conversation between Habakkuk and God. So let's pick up this conversation in the first chapter. The book begins with Habakkuk calling out to God and giving a complaint. You might have a heading in your Bible that says Habakkuk's complaint. He's frustrated with the continuing injustice and the wickedness that's happening in Judah. The land has become filled with destruction, filled with violence, filled with all sorts of idol worship. And so in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, here's what Habakkuk says to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Now Habakkuk is speaking fairly openly with God here. He's saying, God, I know that you're just. I know that you're righteous. But look at the wickedness of Judah. Look at your people and what they're doing. When are you going to do something about it? How long should I cry to you for help about all of this? I wonder how many times you've felt like screaming to God. How long? How much longer? And so the question here is whether or not God will do something about the wickedness of Judah. That's what Habakkuk is complaining about. And so the Lord responds, but he doesn't respond with the type of response you might be expecting. God gives an answer that Habakkuk wouldn't believe even if he was told. At least that's what it says when we pick up in chapter one, verses five through six. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. God will do something about the wickedness of Judah. He will punish Judah for their sins, but he'll do it by raising up the wicked Chaldeans. Needless to say, Habakkuk isn't very happy. He's shocked. Why would God punish wicked Judah by raising up an even more wicked Babylon? I mean, that doesn't seem to make sense. It's confusing. And so chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk gives another complaint. And so we'll just read a portion of it. Here's chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. 
You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, Habakkuk saying, God, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, really? Them? The people who are more wicked than us? How can you let the wicked prosper? And at the end, in chapter 2, verse 1, he basically says, I'm going to sit right here to see what you have to say about that God, and I'm going to start preparing for my answer to you. So, so far we have Habakkuk crying out, Lord, you do not care about the wickedness of Judah. It doesn't seem like it. Why are you just idly looking at this? And then God says, yes, I do. I'm sending the Babylonians to punish them. And so then Habakkuk says, but don't you care about the even greater wickedness of the Babylonians? And God is about to say, yes, I'm going to judge them too. I'll tell you about that, Habakkuk. And you must trust me that it will happen even when it doesn't seem like it. In fact, you must live by faith. So look at verses 2 through 4 in chapter 2. The Lord answered me. By the way, it's the grace of God that he would even respond to a man like Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God says that he will tell Habakkuk what he'll do. He's going to judge the Chaldeans in time. And when it seems slow, and when it seems late to arrive, God looks at Habakkuk and says, wait for it. Live by faith. That's, That's the point of the book. In the midst of hardship and in the midst of prolonged suffering, live by faith. Trust God. God does care about justice and perfect justice will be executed. Everything in the end will be made right. And so the rest of chapter two is really just a series of woe oracles that are describing what will happen to wicked nations like Babylon. God is going to execute perfect justice. And you may be wondering what Habakkuk does in response. Is Habakkuk just going to keep arguing with God? Is he going to grow faint and disheartened and turn away and not press on to see the fulfillment of these things? Or is Habakkuk going to become an example of what it looks like to live by faith? Well, starting in chapter 3, he breaks out into song. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth. And that crazy word right there, is probably referring to a type of tempo that would be that a song would be set to a type of fast paced tempo and tone. And so really what that's saying in chapter three, verse one, is that the rest of these words, this poetry in chapter three, which is really what it is. Chapter three is this poem. 
This poetry of chapter 3 is to be played. It's to be sung to the tune of joy. Habakkuk breaks out into song. In verse 2, he remembers God's act of old. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So all the things you've done of old, renew them today. And not only does he remember God's deeds of old, he has faith that God will accomplish his future promises. In verse 16. So look at chapter 3, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. You see him? I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. To come upon people who invade us. And in the last three verses. Habakkuk closes with this faith in God himself. Despite the circumstances. This is one of the most heartfelt. Faith filled prayers. In the entire Bible. Verses 17. Through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Of course, this song closes to the choir master. With stringed instruments. Just imagine people singing that. In the midst of a hard time. Things were hard and extremely frustrating for Habakkuk. God was going to execute justice. But he was going to do it in a way that made Habakkuk uncomfortable. And he's really going to have to trust God in the meantime. And so what does God say? God says in chapter 2 to live by faith. And then whenever we get to chapter 3, it shows us that Habakkuk has become the very example of what it looks like to live by faith, no matter the circumstances. That's the story. That's the book. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk becomes an example of it in chapter 3. And so I just want to take a few minutes to point out nine things that we can learn from this book about what it means to live by faith. I mean, if that's what we're called to do as Christians, to live by faith, this book has a lot to teach us about that. It's a wonderful example of how to do it. So here's nine observations about the righteous living by faith. First, the righteous live by faith when life is hard. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to write these down. First, the righteous live by faith when life is hard. So in the beginning, Habakkuk is pleading, how long shall I cry for help? We need help when things are hard, right? He's crying for help and we don't need help when things are easy. We need help when things are hard. I mean, for Habakkuk, justice is perverted. There's violence and there's destruction all around him. He even has to endure the invasion of the Babylonians that are going to come in, which we know is going to be filled with cruelty. 
It's going to be filled with bloodshed. It's going to be war. It's going to be battles. Yet in the midst of all of this, Habakkuk is told that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith when life is hard. We just saw it. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You and I, we experience the results and consequences of sin every day. We see it when people are hurt around us. We feel it when people around us hurt us. Sin in our culture is being advertised and encouraged and celebrated all around us. We know the depths of pain associated with losing a job or losing our good health or losing a loved one. What we find out in the Christian life is that being a Christian doesn't make life easy. Life is still hard. There's a cross that we have to bear and it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. I mean, the Christian life has its path through the valley of the shadow of death. And there's really not much we can do to escape that path, but we can walk through it with faith. Now, there's a difference between pain without purpose and pain with purpose. Pain without purpose only hurts. Pain with purpose still hurts. It's still painful. But it doesn't only hurt. When I began to play that guitar a few months ago, the pain in my fingertips was almost unbearable. You couldn't really touch or hold anything without it just being excruciating pain because it just takes a few weeks in order to build up the calluses so that your fingers don't hurt whenever you press down on the strings. And if you don't look forward in the midst of that to the skills that are being acquired, if you don't look forward to the calluses that are being formed, if you don't look forward to the songs that you're going to be able to play, you won't press through. You see, living by faith is saying, I know that this hurts and I know that there's a purpose. God is working all things for my good. Through my suffering, there is an eternal weight of glory that is awaiting me. Living by faith is trusting in the promises of God. Not so that life becomes easy, but so we can press on whenever life is hard. So that's number one. The righteous live by faith when life is hard. Next, the righteous live by faith when circumstances are confusing. You think Habakkuk was confused when he was talking with God? I mean, I mean, the plans of God were not very clear and obvious to him. It felt like God was potentially ignoring sin. And then all of a sudden, God was going to deal with sin. But he was going to do it by using people who were more sinful. And that was confusing. I mean, God works in all these mysterious ways. And his plans and his timing and his execution is often confusing. It often perplexes us. And how many times have you just sat there and thought, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? How is this going to work? Because my life and my direction doesn't make sense. 
Sometimes I think we feel like we could pave a greater path forward if we were God. Remember, just when Habakkuk thought that he was the one who cared about justice, he found out that God had already been thinking about it. God had already gone before him by raising up the Chaldeans over here, and that hadn't even crossed his mind. And just when Habakkuk thought he was the one who cared about justice against the Chaldeans, he found out once again that God had already been thinking about it. God already had a plan to judge the Chaldeans. You see, in our pride, we have a tendency to think that we see things clearly. But the truth is, is that God always, without a doubt, beats us to the punch. When Habakkuk saw absolutely no plan, there was a plan. When Habakkuk was confused, God wasn't confused. Habakkuk 1.5 gets it right that God is doing something we would not believe even if we were told. So what does it look like to live by faith when things are confusing? Well, it looks like trusting in the sovereign God who controls everything. Friends, your, your comfort doesn't rest in being able to understand everything going on. Your comfort rests in the one who controls everything that is going on. Just think about a child who's riding in the car. And all the lights and clicks and the horns and the traffic and the stops and turns can be confusing. It can be frightening. But the child knows that mommy and daddy know how to drive a car. So she rests content. That just reminds us that when you don't understand, God does. And so live by faith when things are confusing. And of course, the ultimate example is the cross. And the disciples were so confused about what Jesus was going to do. Wasn't he supposed to be the Messiah that was going to come and free them from Gentile control? He was going to be some military king. That's what they thought the Messiah would do. And now he's going to the cross to die. A shameful death. Beaten and battered. How confusing do you think that was for Peter? But where men and women are confused, God always has a better way. And so the confusing cross led to a purchased people. That's what we learn at the cross. And so live by faith when things are confusing. Number three. The righteous live by faith when suffering is prolonged. The righteous live by faith when suffering is prolonged. Verse 2 of chapter 1 says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? That, that, prior, uh, 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 that prayer of how long, how long, oh Lord, that's a constant one that we see throughout the Bible. We see it multiple times throughout the Psalms. I believe it's, it shows up in nine different Psalms. And I remember Paul praying over and over and over again, right, that God would take away the thorn in his flesh, whatever it was, and God didn't. His suffering was prolonged. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 again. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Do you ever feel like God's promise is being fulfilled slowly? Perhaps your suffering is prolonged. Does it ever feel like the promises of sanctification and renewal and the new heavens and new earth are taking too long? 
I mean, some of you know that life is hard. Some of you know that life is confusing. And the hard and the confusing parts we just talked about seem to last forever. Perhaps you suffer more than the average person. Perhaps you struggle more than the average person. And you're awaiting the day when God is going to make all things new. But it feels like it's taking so long. And God would say, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. There's two phrases there that are so important. It will surely come and it will not delay. I mean, God is very careful here to say that if it seems slow. He says, seems slow because it's not truly slow. It will surely come and it will not delay. And so the encouragement there for us as brothers and sisters in Christ is to know that your prolonged suffering doesn't change the certainty of the promise and it doesn't change the timing of the promise. It might feel like it. It might feel like it's less certain. It might feel like it's taking too long. But God makes His promises and they will certainly come to pass at the certain and right time. It's not slow even if it seems slow. So what do you do? How do you live by faith when your suffering is prolonged? Here's the answer. You preach to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that many of our problems, he says, haven't you ever noticed that many of our problems stem from the fact that we do a lot of listening to ourselves and not a lot of talking to ourselves? And so things are going to seem slow. And whenever we struggle, things are going to... We're going to allow thoughts to creep in. We're going to listen to the lies of our flesh and the enemy. Maybe God won't sanctify me. Maybe he won't deliver me. Maybe he won't make all things new. Maybe things just keep pushing him back and back and he just keeps changing his timeline. Stop. Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. It just seems slow. But it's not. It will surely come. And it will never be delayed. Live by faith when suffering is prolonged. Fourth. The righteous live by faith. By heartfelt prayer. John Piper called Habakkuk the feisty prophet. He truly comes before the Lord and he unloads his entire heart. Now, I don't think that everything about Habakkuk's prayer should be copied. I don't think it's good to tell God that he idly looks it wrong, as though God doesn't care. But you know something? Habakkuk actually receives God in this book. He actually receives answers from the Lord because he actually prayed. And while I wouldn't commend everything about Habakkuk's prayer, I would commend, I would commend the type of relationship he has with God to where he can freely lay out his heart before him. Perhaps, just consider this, perhaps God values imperfect, heartfelt prayer more than no prayer at all. Maybe he honors drawing near to him in frustration more than staying away from him in frustration. 
And maybe that's why Habakkuk got an answer. Perhaps there's something to it when Peter says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. So there's a care from God that you experience only when you cast your cares on Him. Perhaps there's something to it when James says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And so something of God's presence and intimacy and nearness can only be experienced through prayer. Perhaps there's something to it when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. So that there's a peace from God and there's a freedom from anxiety that only comes through prayer. So my question would be this, do we live by faith and heartfelt prayer? So that we can experience in our hearts, in our lives, the care and comfort of God, the nearness and intimacy of God, and the peace from God that surpasses all understanding. So whatever you want to say about Habakkuk's prayer life, there's two things that we know for sure. Number one, he prayed. Number two, he got God. Number one, he prayed. And number two, he got God. I wonder if sometimes we feel like we don't have number two because we don't do number one. Number five. The righteous live by faith, by meditation on God. I think we see this in a few places throughout the book. Uh, Even though Habakkuk complains against God in chapter one, it's clear that he knows that God is just. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So Habakkuk has meditated on who God is, and from that understanding, he can actually go to God and pray and ask for God to do things in accordance with his, with his nature. Isn't that living by faith? Meditating on God and then responding in prayer, trusting that God is going to act in accordance with, with who He has revealed Himself to be. The question is, do you and I do that? Do we meditate on Him? And then do we pray to Him to act in accordance with who He is? And we see meditation in chapter 3, verse 2. And in chapter 3, verse 2, Habakkuk remembers God's works of old. And that gives him faith in God's works to come. O Lord, I've heard the report of you. Your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, God, if you've kept your promises in the past, surely you will keep them now in the future. I think about Romans chapter 5, verse 9, where Paul says, Since then, we have been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So if God has saved us from our sin already in the past, surely He will keep us and save us from the wrath to come in the future. I wonder if you do this. I wonder if you meditate on the promises kept and then live by faith in the promises given. The last place we see this meditation in Habakkuk is chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. We have your Bibles turned there, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation 
when He makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone. Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. What this is saying is that all idols are fake. They're false gods. You scream at them. You yell for them to wake up. And we're not just talking about wooden images. We're talking about all the dreams that you have. Potentially all the career ideas that you have that you've made an idol. That you scream at and yell at and tell it to do something. And it can't. It has no breath in it. But the Lord Yahweh, He is God. And He's real. In His presence, we don't go to Him and say, Arise, awake! In His presence, we come before Him and we keep silent. He talks, we listen. He teaches, we learn. He reveals who He is, we meditate on who He is. So I wonder how often you adopt this posture before Sunday morning. I wonder how often you adopt this posture during the service. Or when you get ready to read your Bible. Do you come in on Sunday flustered and running all over and coming in at last minute? Or do you come in ready to focus on God? The righteous live by faith by meditating on Him. Next, number six. The righteous live by faith by trusting God's promises. I love what Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. Friends, one of the hardest things to do is to hold on to the promises of God when everything around us is difficult. But that's why I love this one verse in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, flip to chapter 2. It stands out really as an encouragement in the midst of hardship. Because in chapter 2, it's filled with all these woe oracles. All these bad things that are going to happen. All this judgment that's going to happen. It talks about nations that do evil and build cities and capture armies. All in vain. Why do all these wicked nations do everything in vain? Because chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. So when all these evil, all of these corrupt nations are taking over. Habakkuk, remember that the earth is going to be filled with the glory of God. When sorrow and despair and hardships just crowd into your life, one after the other, after the other, after the other, there's this whisper that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. One day the earth will be filled with the glory of God. What if that was constantly before your face? That though you hurt today, just wait a little longer and God's glory will fill the earth. This promise is given to us to help the righteous live by faith, by trusting God's promises. Just a few more here. We're now to number seven. The righteous live by faith, by God's strength. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The Lord God is my strength. 
Friends, the opposite of living by faith is doing everything that we've just talked about, numbers one through six, and doing it on your own by your own power. Living by faith means trusting God, not only with what He's doing out there, but with what you're doing. You need His strength to pray. You need His strength to read your Bible and to meditate. You need God's strength to wake up a Christian tomorrow because it's not you keeping you a Christian tomorrow. The famous verse, Philippians 4.13, tells us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the righteous live by faith, not by looking to themselves, not by hoping in themselves, not by trying harder and doing a bunch of things, but by looking to Jesus and looking to the cross and his word for strength and power and knowledge and motivation. So my friends, if you are hoping in the Christian life for power and vigor and vitality and strength in your faith in the midst of hardship, and you're not turning to his word or prayer or meditation or his people, You are looking for it in the wrong place. It will never work. You need God's strength. So you must go to Him. Number eight. The righteous live by faith by singing to the Lord. Chapter three of Habakkuk, as we've already mentioned, is a song. When he comes face to face with God, he breaks out and sings. And friends, a lot of us have a lot of different songs for a lot of different things. Growing up, playing baseball, you had to choose your song for your walk-up music. Every time a new batter comes up, their song plays. Right? Maybe you're used to having songs on a list for you to work out to. Or songs to get you pumped up before a game. Or certain songs to calm you down before a nap. Or certain songs to ease your mind before a test. Certain songs to make you laugh. Certain songs to make you cry. Well, then doesn't it make sense that you would have certain songs to help you persevere? When's the last time you fought for your life by singing? The other day I was reading in Ephesians and all of Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 is about putting off the old self and about putting on the new self. So don't do this. This was the old man. This was the old woman. Apart from Christ, do this. This is the new man, the new woman in Christ. Over and over and over again. And all the way at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, one of the first applications of living by faith in that way is this. He says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And I was just blown away by the logic of the argument. Put off the old self. Put on the new self and its holiness. And one of your first orders of business to accomplish this is sing. Sing together. What do they do on the other side of the river after the exodus? What does Mary do whenever she hears the news about Jesus? They sing. So friends, you want to know how to live by faith when things are hard? Turn your lust into lyrics. Turn your sorrows into songs. Turn your meditations into melodies. Sing. That's what Habakkuk did. Lastly, friends, the ninth observation takes us out of Habakkuk. And it takes us into the book of Romans. Where Paul quotes our main verse for today that we've quoted many times. The Lord's in His holy temple. I'm sorry, the, um, the righteous shall live by faith. 
So look at Romans 1, 16 through 17. If you don't want to flip there, I'll read it for you. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, there aren't just some righteous people out there who one day start living by faith. Instead, there are those who place their faith in Christ and then they're counted as righteous. In order to live by faith, you first have to start living. And only those who trust in Jesus will have life. So perhaps you've heard all of these other things about what a Christian does to live by faith, but unless you first place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no point. Your faith is and your living, and your prayers, and your Bible reading will never be enough to have your sins blotted out. But Jesus' perfection is. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin so that His perfect righteousness can be credited to those who, you guessed it, to those who live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But it's only those who place their faith in Jesus who are counted righteous. So then what more could I say about Habakkuk other than go and take these nine things and cherish them in your heart. Ponder them in your mind. Think them over. Pray them over. Talk them over with one another. And then go do it. Go live by faith.